So I, I have the, uh, the pleasure of teaching you out of John today. John's a unique gospel. It's different than the other gospels. The other three gospels are called the synoptic gospels because they're similar. The gospel of John is something different. It's more about the emotions of God and the love of God. and We get a different kind of message from the gospel of John. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to teach. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Lord, thank you for those people that are here and those people listening online. May you open their hearts and their minds and their ears to hear exactly what it is that you want them to hear, Lord. And that, Holy Spirit, that you well up in me and allow me to speak what it is that you wish me to speak. Just move me out of your way. Let your message come through loud and clear. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me while we read the, the word? We're going to be in John 5, 1 through 16, the New King James Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down in a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Immediately, the man was made well, took up the bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn because of the multitude of people in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So, first thing I want to point out is uh, passage number four. In your translation, you may not have passage number four. Passage number four only, is only in the New King James and the King James Version. Now, there's Bible scholars that think that this passage was added sometime around 600 A.D. to 1,000 to A.D., probably by somebody who was doing the interpreting of the Bible and, and rewriting it, but I don't believe it. And I'll tell you why I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it because John is filled with things the other Gospels don't have. It's filled with places and statements about the times that Jesus was in. It's filled with things about society and how people were thinking and how they were feeling in the time. 
It's different. If you didn't live in Jesus' time, you wouldn't put those things in the gospel. You wouldn't put those things in your passage. But they're there. Which means that the people believed in this passage. It said, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. When whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. You see, Jesus was working in the community. Even though these temple priests and these leaders were afflicted by a spirit of religion and didn't understand that it was still God's job, it was still God that they were working for, God was moving. He was sending angels. He was sending people to heal. He was sending people to take care of these, these people because they weren't doing what he wanted them to do. So he sent angels to take care of it. And these people knew it. They knew that if they went to the temple, in the temple, they would find God. Even if the temple priests didn't bring God to them, God was still there. So in this place, this place called the Pool of Bethesda is one of those things that's mentioned in the Gospel of John that for years and years nobody even believed existed. You see, it had disappeared after Jesus' time, after the sacking of the, in 70 of, of the temple. The Temple of Bethesda didn't exist. Nobody knew it was there. It, had been, it was uncovered in the early 1900s by, by archaeologists, and they didn't know what they even found until after they read the Gospel of John. And then they realized, oh, hey, that's, that, that exists. You see, there's a lot of things we read in the Bible that some people doubt. A lot of things we read in the Bible that we don't necessarily think is real. It's just myth. But we all know that God's no myth. We all know that everything that's written in there is no myth. And even if we don't have it in front of our face right now, God's going to make it happen. In the end, we're going to realize that everything that's written in there is true real and accurate. So, here this man is laying at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus comes in. Now, keep in mind that this is the beginning of Jesus' moving. He, he's only done one other miracle besides this and, and this is the beginning, just the beginning. So he doesn't have a whole bunch of followers. He doesn't, he doesn't have a posse. He, he goes into town with just, you know, one or two people. So, People don't really know who he is, but he's going in there for a reason. See, Jesus doesn't do anything unless it's intentional. Everything Jesus does, he's doing for his father. He's about his father's business. So when he goes into town, he's going in there to set these Jewish leaders. He's, trying, he's going in there to let them know that what they're doing is not right. He's going in to, to, to make a point to them. He's going to make sure everybody knows that the Messiah is on the scene. He's going to make sure that they know who he is and that what they're doing as far as the Sabbath is concerned isn't right. You see, they're, they're following what they call rabbinic oral traditions called the Misha. They're wrapping their, their laws up in these oral traditions to the point where nobody can live with the laws. Nobody can follow them because they're, they're so difficult it's impossible for them to deal with. It's impossible for them to live that way. That's why Jesus had to come in the first place to let us know that we can't live by the law. We can only live by his salvation. So when he goes into town, he's looking for something specific. He wants to find somebody that he can set free and glorify the Father with. And it says, 
that this man has been there for a long time. 38 years, it says. The passage says he's been in that condition a long time. So Jesus walks through the crowd and he, he sees this man. But see, we know a little bit from the Gospel of John what kind of man this was. This is a man who's wrapped up in what's called sympathetic magic. He's wrapped up in these superstitions. And whether the angels come, comes down and stirs the water or not, he's convinced that the water bubbling is what's going to heal him, not God. He, he stopped depending on God to heal him. He stopped thinking God was going to come in his life. He stopped thinking that God was the one that could take care of all of his problems and started thinking if he could just get to the water. <laughs> he started believing in magic instead of believing in God. We see this same kind of sympathetic magic in Deuteronomy 22 where it talks about using different seeds in your field and, and plowing your field with an ox and a donkey and maybe wearing a coat of wool and a shirt that's made of cotton. And we wonder why these laws are in there and don't make a whole lot of sense to us. And I'll tell you why. It's because of sympathetic magic. See, back then... People would cross their fingers and cross their toes and say, if I cross my fingers and cross my toe, this pagan God's going to take care of me. If I put two different seeds in the ground, when the crop comes up, I can say that this pagan God was the one that took care of that for me. If I, if I plow my field with an ox and I furrow it with a donkey, I'm going to get more grain. Well, I tell you right now, God did every one of those things. And God wasn't about to let these people take responsibility and place it on somebody else when he was doing all the work. So he put these things in there to let them know that that's not acceptable. When I fix your fields and I fix your life and I fix everything about you, you're going to give me credit for it and you're not going to embrace some magic. And this man, this man that Jesus finds at this pool is broken. He's not only broken physically, he's broken spiritually. He. He's believing in some superstition and he forgot the Father. He's broken emotionally. Jesus asked him a pointed question. He says, do you want to be made well? Now this sounds like a strange question to ask somebody who's been there for 38 years, but the reality is, is that He's had people taking care of him for 38 years. He probably didn't live at that, wa at that, at that pool. If he'd have lived at that pool, he'd have never made it 38 years. The cold or the heat would have killed him way before 38 years. He's got somebody taking him to and from there every day. He's got somebody taking care of him and feeding him and helping him. He's got people giving him money to make sure to pay for food. He's got temple priests that are coming out, whether they're coming out just to make sure that they see them or not. They're coming out to help him. So he's gaining a lot from this affliction he's had for 38 years. And though he may be suffering, he's gaining quite a bit as well. So Jesus asked him this question, do you want to be made well? And Jesus was asking for the right answer. He knew before he asked him what this man's answer was going to be, or else he wouldn't have picked him in the first place. So this is my first point. Do you really want to be made well? 
Jesus is asking you, do you want to be made well? Do you want to change your situation? Or are you gaining more from your situation and your affliction than you're gaining from your infirmity? You ask somebody how they're doing, and the first thing they say is, oh, my back hurts. How are you doing today? I don't know, I'd be okay if it wasn't for my knees. You know, I, I, I'm okay, but, you know, as long as I keep taking them pills for my anxiety, I'm, I'm good. You see, we all have issues. We all have problems. We all have concerns. Problem is, is we're turning to the wrong thing. We're not turning to Jesus and asking him to take these things away. And he's asking you, do you want to be made well? Because when Jesus makes you well, he makes you well completely. But if you're not willing to ask him to make you well, he's not going to. You can sit out there and you can make these statements all day long. Oh, I just wish God would take this away. I just wish God would help me with this. I just wish he would make things better. But not one time are you asking him to do it. Because if you ask him, he'll do it. You want to ask him for anything because if you ask him for it, he's going to make you well. And the truth is, is you might be gaining a little bit more from your affliction than you're losing from your infirmity. So this man, Jesus heals. He stands up. Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. He immediately stands up. This is a man who's been sitting there on the ground for 38 years. Every one of his muscles had to atrophy. He hasn't used them. He was, he was so infirm that he couldn't even wiggle himself to the water to roll himself in. But yet Jesus says, get up, and he stands up and walks. You know, but the one thing about this thing that really amazes me is he doesn't hug Jesus. He doesn't shake Jesus' hand. He doesn't say thank you. Jesus heals him of something for 38 years that he's been afflicted with. And he don't even take the time to learn his name. The next thing we hear is a leader confronts him and says, You're carrying your mat. What are you carrying your mat for? Jesus picked this guy for a particular reason. He'd been there for 38 years. Every one of the Jewish leaders knew who he was. They had seen him there. They knew who he was. They knew he was afflicted. They knew he couldn't walk. And here this man is walking with his mat. And what do they say to him? Why are you carrying your mat? Look at it this way. Imagine you have a next door neighbor who's a paraplegic. He can't do anything but talk to you. You know, Kyle's... <laughs> Imagine this man. His name's Bob. We'll call him Bob. Bob lives next door to you. He ain't talked. He ain't done anything except for talk to you in, in 30 years. He can't move. He's in a wheelchair. He's a real good guy, you know. And then one morning, the lawnmower starts up at 5.30 in the morning, and, and you stick your head out the window and say, Bob, what are you running your lawnmower for at 5.30 in the morning? If Bob's push mowing his lawn at 5.30 in the morning, you ain't ever seen him out of a wheelchair, I'm pretty sure you're going to go over and ask him what happened. I'm pretty sure you're going to say, who healed you, Bob? Where's the Messiah, Bob? Because I want to meet him. But these temple priests who thought they were closer to God than anybody didn't even recognize the Messiah they'd been waiting for for a thousand years. 
Even when he did miracles right in their midst, they were more worried about putting him to death than they were being saved by him. You know, it's really kind of crazy how these these leaders acted towards towards this this man. Even if he was just just an average person who hadn't been touched by the Messiah and healed, had somehow rolled into the water and somehow became healed, you still would think they would want to glorify God for it. But, but nothing they did was about glorifying God. Everything they did was about glorifying themselves. But this man, when asked about his mat, says, he told me to do it. <laughs> he doesn't even take responsibility for carrying his own mat. He says, that guy that healed me told me to carry my mat. but he doesn't know his name. He never took the time to get to know him. The man that changed his life forever, he doesn't take the time to even learn his name. So here's my next point. How many of you believe, how many of you would be willing to accept healing from him but don't really know him? How many of you believe in him but don't have a relationship with him? It's one thing to believe that Jesus can save you. It's another thing to get to know him. We can accept an awful lot from God, but if we don't ever ask what God wants from us in return, then we really don't have a relationship with him. The scariest passage in the Bible is when somebody's standing in front of Jesus and heaven and he says depart from me I never knew you closest thing some people ever get to the word to reading the word is listening to us read it here on a Sunday I encourage you to learn who Jesus is to talk to him every day to allow him to be part of your life every moment every second it'll change everything about you. So Jesus sees this man in the temple later and he says to him, see, you've been made well. Don't sin anymore in case something worse happens to you. This, this man must have been thinking to himself, I've been on the ground for 38 years, what, mer- what worse could possibly happen to me? Because he didn't get it. He didn't understand that the worst thing that could happen to him is an eternity without God in a place called hell. See, when Jesus healed him, he didn't just heal his physical body. He healed his, he healed his spiritual body too. He made him whole and complete and total and allowed him the opportunity to be saved. He was in a direct direct ticket to heaven but what's he do as soon as he leaves Jesus he goes to the temple and says 
that's the guy that healed me. He goes and tattles on Jesus. So my main point here is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is you walk away from here today not knowing Jesus. You walk away from here not believing that he can save you and give you an eternity in heaven with him and Father. Because I tell you right now, there's only two doors. There's the J door and the H door, and you get to pick one or the other, but you don't have any other options. You either go through the J door to, to Jesus, or you go through the H door to hell. You don't have any other option. And I tell you right now, when people ask me all the time, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? God doesn't, you do. God's made a package for you, wrapped it up, put a bow on it, and all you got to do is open it. But if you're not willing to accept it, if you're not willing to open a, a package, something he's already done for you, what other option does he have but to let you go where you want to go? Someplace where God isn't. It's that simple. Accept him or don't. But be willing to deal with the consequences if you don't. Because I'm not. So I ask you, why did Jesus choose this man of all the men? There was thousands of them out there. Thousands of them out there. He could have picked any one of them. Why did he choose this one? Probably not because he was worthy. I mean, he had options for 38 years and he never took them. He never believed in God enough to worship or to ask him. Probably not because he was repentant, because I'm not really sure he was repentant even after he got healed. Not because he was suffering, because there was a lot of people who were there suffering. God chose him to glorify the Father. It's the same reason he chooses each and every one of us. Our job is to glorify the Father. So he asks us if we want to be well, and we have to be willing to give up those things in order to be whole and complete. We have to want to surrender to him to get to know who he is and have a relationship with him so that when we get to heaven, we already know him. We recognize him. And he fixes that problem, that eternal problem that each and every one of us has.